want to share a few. I think we got some feedback that y'all wanted a little more time in your small groups, so I'm going to try to talk fast, give you some, um, just some kind of some big picture thoughts that you can work through. Some of this stuff will be new uh, to some of you. Some of this will be stuff that maybe you've heard here or somewhere else. But regardless of whether it's new or not, I want to encourage y'all to really kind of wrestle through the material. We're halfway done. This, we're six weeks, so we're three weeks into the six weeks. So I want to encourage y'all to keep digging into the material and digging into your group. Uh, as Brandon said, what we're trying to do is figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus through every aspect of life. And that's kind of the picture for us is following him no matter. We all have lots of different hats, and that's okay. What's not okay is wearing masks. That's when we get into trouble and there are a couple of things that get in the way of actually following him all the way through one is when we some of us are segmenters and that's the ditch we fall into we create these compartments where we for whatever reason we don't allow jesus in some of that's intentional some of it's not some of us are jugglers and we have a lot going on and there's just a lack of alignment behind those things we've got a lot of activity but we're not actually accomplishing much in terms of uh for the kingdom because there's no again there's no alignment of those things behind Jesus. And so those are the things we're trying to avoid. We're trying to walk down this road of following him, as Brandon mentioned, kind of having this undivided heart. Tonight I want to talk about one wall in particular that I think many of us wrestle with. I think it's a pretty common thing among Christians in the United States, and it's the secular sacred divide, that there's certain areas of life where God is not welcome, or that we, we, we would never say that. But we live as if there are certain areas of life that are off limits to the Lord. And there's a number of reasons for this, and it really doesn't matter. The reasoning doesn't necessarily matter. It's just reality for most of us as we live with, again, this sacred, secular divide. There's been this elevation of the scientific method. That's how we know what's true, if it's a verifiable hypothesis that we can test. And, and, and you can't do that with much of uh, what's found in the Bible. You can't verify it scientifically, but you can't verify the Civil War scientifically either, so whatever. So you've got this whole thing of science, the scientific method as the only way to find truth, this um, false dichotomy between faith and reason. You have, uh, even where we live, this idea of the separation of church and state, and there's certain things that you just can't, legally, you can't be a Christian in this place, or you can't wear a cross, or you can't say the name of Jesus, and None of that stuff matters. Jesus says very clearly you can serve one master, period. And we follow him, and if following him puts us on the wrong side of church and state, then it puts us on the wrong side of church and state. If following him means I lose my job, it won't mean that for me. If following him means that, you know, if it means that, then that's what happens. There's 180,000 Christians who die every year because following Jesus means they get killed. That's just that's kind of part of it for us. I want to say that in a heavy way. For us, again, the, the point is what does it look like for us to follow him in every aspect of our life and to break down this um, false wall that divides sacred and secular. And I think one of the things that the church and people like me have done that have created that divide in people's mind is a misunderstanding of the Great Commission. Y'all know the Great Commission. I think it would be up here, Matthew 28. 19 and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And there's, a, there's two different, there's more than that. I would say there's two dominant perspectives 
on this. One is what we know in our head, and the other is the one that we actually live out. The one that we actually live out, although you would never, if you were taking a test, you would say, this is totally wrong. But the one that most of us live out is seeing the Great Commission really as a search and rescue mission. And so we kind of have this idea, there are these different spheres. There's God and he's holy, which means he's separate from everything else. And then there's a church, which, yes, it's people, but it's really a particular place and that's where God and people meet. They, they meet in this place called a church. And that's why church buildings are so beautiful. And that it, In many cities, the best-looking buildings are the church buildings. And the reason is because that's God's house. Have you ever heard that? It's God's house. That's where he lives. That's where people meet God. That's an Old Testament understanding. The temple is a place where God dwells. We brought that over and so it, it has to be. And that's why everybody dresses up to go to church, because you're going to meet God in this place, and you've got to look your best in order to do that. And then there's the world, which is a separate sphere altogether, and it's pretty nasty, and God doesn't have very much to do with the world. He saves us out of the world and puts us into the church, which is a group of people, but really it's also a particular place. Um, some of you that kind of, if there are any of you that kind of follow church trends, back in the uh, late 80s particularly, there was this move of making churches all-encompassing communities. Gym, cafe, coffee shop, but everything you need is right here on this campus. We can, we're going to do it all. You never have to leave this holy place and kind of engage in that dirty world because we're safe from that. And there's, there's biblical truth there. God, del Jesus delivers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are priests. Priests are mediators between God and people who don't know him. And that's kind of the role that we play in this paradigm. My job as a member of that church is to make a foray into the world and grab you and pull you back into the church so you can meet God there. That's, that's what I'm doing. My job is to I'm going to kind of get on my armor and run out and try not to get dirty and get as many people as I can, get you into the church for a particular program or so you can hear a message or so you can meet a person or whatever so God can intersect your life in this particular place. Some of that, even the whole idea of being fishers of men, Jesus said that. That kind of has this picture of I'm going to pull you out of the world and then I'm going to put you in this boat where you're going to be safe and clean like the rest of us. And there's been some good things that have come out of this. Many of us in this room became Christians because of this. That's the, the emphasis is on personal, individual salvation. And that for a lot of us, that's how we came to Jesus. Somebody invited us to a camp. Here's a holy place where you can meet God. Someone invited us to Bible school. Someone invited us to church. They invited us to a Billy Graham event. They invited us to something assuming you're going to meet God in this place. And their job was just to get us there. For, if we raised hands, I bet 90% of us became Christians that way because someone invited us into a particular, to an event, to a place where we were going to meet God. And another advantage of that is it connects everybody to a local church, which is vital. When you get saved in a local congregation, you're connected there, which we need in order to grow. As Christians, so there's some really good things about this understanding, and it does have some. There's some biblical undercurrents to it. The drawback 
is for most of us, for most of you, you don't work in a church. You work somewhere else. And this totally diminishes and devalues what you do 40, 45, 50, 55 hours a week. It, it, de it devalues your work and where you spend most of your time. Most of you are in this building max four hours a week. And there's 164 left that suddenly have a lot less value because you're not in this place where you meet God. And then what your, what your work becomes is just a place for you to go fishing and try to get those people to come to an alpha or to come to a worship service or to come to something that we're doing some type or that some church is doing. Let's get them to 722. Let's get them to an Easter service at North Point or wherever they can meet God. And it, again, it devalues what most of you spend most of your time doing, and that's the sacred, secular divide for most of us. Whether you work outside of your home, even for those of you who are, who, who are stay-at-home moms, for some of you, it's the same divide. You're not getting paid for what you do, but again, there's this understanding of now I'm kind of, I'm on, I'm doing mom stuff right now. I'm taking care of the house, or I'm running carpool, or whatever, but there's just not this sense of God is at work in my daily life. I'm not doing something explicitly spiritual. I see Trey in the back. He's easy, easy one for me to pick on because he works with massive Home Depot Corporation. And so under this understanding, Trey, what he does in the environmental safety, is that what it's called, department at Home Depot, it really doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with the kingdom. The whole world's going to burn up anyway. So all he's doing really is trying to pay bills. And what he sees himself is he's just trying to, he's trying to catch a few co-workers. Somebody crying today, maybe I can get them to church. And it devalues what he went to school for and it devalues what he does 50 hours a week. You see what I'm, It diminishes the significance of a huge portion of his life. It's that sacred, secular divide. And so then, because he loves Jesus and he's committed to seeing Jesus' kingdom come, then he's got to figure out, well, how on top of all I'm doing at Home Depot and with Tanya and with Noah, where am I supposed to, what, am I, what else do I need to do to bring some eternal value to my life? And he's having to try to squeeze it in between all of that other stuff. There's another picture that I think maybe is a little more helpful. It's the idea of the Great Commission as cultivation. Rather than seeing it as a search and rescue mission where we're venturing out into the world and trying to pull people back into the church, it's this idea that all of these spheres, and you know this, intersect. This is what we all know cognitively. I don't think it's how we live most of the time. I think the first slide, we all know that's wrong, but that's how we live. This second slide, we all know it's right. We just don't live that way. And we'll kind of get into that here in a second. This understanding that all of these spheres intersect, that the church is not a building, that it's a group of people. Now, obviously, you're here, so you're in this ugly building and not one of those pretty ones, so you probably have gotten to the idea that church isn't a building a long time ago. But do you live that way, Re recognizing that God is already at work in the world, that there's overlap here? That God's already at work in the world. He hasn't abandoned it. We're not deists where God kind of set everything in motion and is just stepping back saying, let's see what happens. He's actively involved in the world and it has nothing to do with this particular building. For Trey, God's at work in Home Depot. 
and Trey's responsibility is not to try to grab those people and get them to Stonebridge. It's to say, what is God doing at Home Depot? What is he doing in this environmental safety department? Are there places in Home Depot where whether they're using Christian language or not, the values of the kingdom are being expressed? Are there places where justice is being done? Does Home Depot have any programs that are promoting justice or righteousness? Are there any programs that are trying to end poverty or that are promoting life? Is, is there any of that going on? That's the kingdom at work. It's those mustard seeds that are planted. Again, whether it's explicitly Christian or not, it's not going to be at Home Depot. It's not going to be explicitly Christian. But it, there, can still be, there can still be evidence of the kingdom coming, of this recognition that Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything, and everything in it. So he's at work in all of these different places. Yes, he's at work in the people's lives in Trey's department. And so he has a responsibility there to have his eyes open and his ears open to what's going on in the lives of the people he works with. And I would say even more broadly than that, to say, what is God doing in this company? And what can he do through this company, through my department or through this company that will promote his agenda? Again, whether it's explicitly Christian or not is beside the point. We'll get to that in a second. This kind of this understanding, um, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's this, there's one God. There, we don't have lots. There's not a God of work and a God of home and a God of church and a, you know we don't we don't have that we've got one god and he's the lord of everything it's this idea that brandon was hitting that last week this we have an undivided heart because we have an undivided god we don't have time to get into it if you went and read the 10 plagues in exodus every one of those is a judgment on a particular god from egypt god saying i I, I, I trump him, and I trump him, and I trump him, and I trump him, and I trump her, all of them. I rule over all of those things. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you can't have two masters. You can only have one. Again, it's this picture that there's only one Lord for us. We can only follow one person at a time. I can't follow somebody. I can't follow my work God or my country God or my financial God and follow Jesus at the same time. At some point, there's paths are going to diverge this idea again that we have one god the torah there's 613 laws and they cover everything what you eat and what you wear and what day you can work and how much of your crops you've got to leave in the field everything to show god is the god over every aspect of life he's not just concerned with quote unquote spiritual matters he cares about the clothes you wear and he cares about whether you cook a baby goat in what substance all of that stuff. He cares about the way you clean your house. All of that stuff is in there. Not because he's nitpicking, but in order to show, I, I rule all of this. There's nothing outside. Now, thankfully for us, Jesus reduced 613 to 2. Love God and love people. But those still encompass every action and activity that we participate in. And if we can begin to see the Great Commission, not as a search and rescue, but as this idea of cultivating a garden. God has given us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he gives us a portion of that. So for Trey, he's got a section of the earth. He's got, a, he's got something off the West Sandtown Road where he lives, and he's got something at Home Depot where he works, and he's got something in the lives of the people that he interacts with. 
God has given him all of that, and it's at various states of fruitfulness. And Trey's responsibility is to see himself as a gardener in that. His job is to cultivate all of this land to allow the seeds of the kingdom that are, again, begin as mustard seeds to become trees and to produce fruit. There's weeding to be done. There's watering. There's planting. There's removing rocks. There's tilling up hard ground. All of that is his responsibility in the areas where God has called him. Jesus says in Matthew 9, he, he says, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And when we hear that, most of us immediately think overseas. That's where we go. It's overseas. 2% of the people in the church, capital C, wind up overseas for any length of time. So does that mean 98% of us, all we do is write checks? No. You're the answer to that prayer. God is sending you, sending me, into harvest fields that are ripe. And it's in your neighborhood, and it's in the PTA where you work. It's in the, your, the courthouse where you work. It's at Home Depot, wherever it is that you find yourself. It's play group with your three-year-old kids, swim team, whatever that is. Recognizing God is sending you into those places, and he's already at work. So my responsibility is it's not search and rescue. That's, a, that's fine for as far as it goes. But that's not my primary responsibility to pull somebody out to this burning building and get them in here. My responsibility is to say, all right, this is my garden that God has given me. Where is he at work? I need to recognize where God's at work. Next week we're going to talk some more about how to hear and see um, where the Lord's at work. But just you get that enough. Where is he at work? And then I need to, I need to engage with that. And the second thing is if you're saying nowhere, you don't know where I work. It is godless. There is no evidence of God at all. Well, you're there, so ask him to get involved. It's one of those two things. Either he's already at work and you cooperate with him, or you say there's no way, there's nothing he's doing. Then ask him to get involved because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he's put you there. And it might be that your responsibility is it's hard ground and you've got to till it up. Enjoy. Somebody's got to do it. And that might be you. So, the necessary hardship that we need to move from this search and rescue to kind of this cultivation mindset. We need to see ourselves as missionaries. See yourself as the answer to this prayer for more workers. It's not somebody else. It's not the people who, it's not Corey and Jesse who are going to go do the world race. It's you in Cobb County, wherever it is that you happen to be. And within that, recognizing this, there's three different expressions, I would say, of mission. And they all, I made them all start with a P. Isn't that nice? So the first one is um, presence. It's just being something. This is all from Daniel um, chapter 2. I'm going to read you, or chapter 1 and chapter 2. Y'all can go back and look at this. Daniel is a great book. The first six chapters. The last six are weird. The first six are very good on if you find yourself in a hostile situation, hostile to Christianity. That was Daniel. He's in Babylon, totally pagan. And he, seeing how he and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego navigate through that can, can give you a world of insight into what God's looking for from you if you find yourself kind of in a closed setting. If you see yourself as you're in a closed country, whatever that is, a place where you can't overtly be a Christian. Jesus is not 
honored and revered in that place. Daniel can give you a lot of insight. So here's some things. First, presence being something. The king ordered this chief of his court to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And they were to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Dan- Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So that's being something. That's, just, that's being good at whatever it is that you do. And there's something to be said for that. If you're in a closed country, there are missionaries in Saudi Arabia right now. It's illegal to wear a cross. A lot of what they do is they're just being something in Saudi Arabia. They're being great employees at these multinational corporations. They're, they're, you get that. And for some of you, that's where you are. You just need to be something. You need to be good at what you do. You need to, and I mean that from a character standpoint as well as from an execution standpoint. You need to be on time. You need to do good work. If you say you're going to do something, you need to follow through. You don't need to gripe about your boss to your coworkers. You need to be the guy that invites the person nobody else invites to lunch to lunch. That's being something. That's embodying the values of the kingdom. Again, whether you can explicitly say Jesus or not, you can embody the values of the kingdom. There's a place, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about the aroma of Christ, and that's what we are. And to some, it's the smell of life, and to some, it's the smell of death. And if you're embodying the values of the kingdom, people who are seeking and searching, people, again, assuming God's already at work in people's hearts, it will be the fragrance of life to them, and it will draw them in. So being something. The second is proclamation, saying something. Daniel 2, 27 and 28. So the king has a dream, and none of his guys can interpret it, and he wants to wipe out all the wise men. And Daniel says, no, there is no... And the king says, I hear you, Daniel. You can interpret dreams. And this is how Daniel responds. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's proclamation. There's presence being something... There's proclamation saying something. At some point, you say something. Paul makes decisions and acts. He says, what seemed good to me and to the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You know what it feels like when he's prompting you to speak. You get that kind of nervous thing going on in here, and you know your heart starts beating fast. You've got to say something. And it doesn't mean that when you say something, everything's going to work out. Sometimes you say something, you get your head cut off. That's in the Bible. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences. The time to say something is not when all the stars align and there's not going to be any negative fallout. The time to say something is when it seems good to you and to the Holy Spirit. So when this king says to Daniel, I hear you can interpret dreams, Daniel has a chance, hey, you're right, I can. You need to keep me close to you because I'm the only one that can do that. And Daniel says, no, it's not me. There's a God in heaven who can do this. That's proclamation. There's presence, proclamation, and there's power doing something. Daniel proceeds to interpret this guy's dream. As you were lying there, O king, here's the dream you had. Daniel tells him the dream he had and then tells him what the dream means. That's something. It's one thing to interpret a dream. It's another people. Tell me what I dreamed last night. That's what Daniel did. He told the guy what he dreamed the night before and then he explained it to him. That's revelation that only comes from the Lord. And for us, that's a part of it as well. There's being something, there's saying something, and there's doing something. 
And all of those things require us to regularly be filled with the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago on Sunday, we talked about the importance of abiding, staying connected to Jesus. As we say, connected to him, if there's this picture of he's the vine or the trunk and we're the branches, the sap that runs from him to us, that's the Holy Spirit who enables us to do and to be and to say. Acts 1.8, wait. When the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll be filled with power. Then you can be my witnesses. Then you can figure out where I'm at work. You can be something and say something and do something. For all of us, we need to remember that it's not my job. It's not Trey's job to establish the kingdom of God at Home Depot. It's not Trey's kingdom. It's God's. That's too big a job for Trey to think, I've got to somehow establish the kingdom of God at Home Depot. That's not, nowhere in the Bible do you read that it's the job of people to establish the kingdom. Jesus does that. That's, that's his thing. He does work through us, but it's his kingdom, and he establishes it. Think more of yourself as a gardener. Your job is to you cultivate this land that God gives you, and you plant the seeds as God leads you, and then he makes all of that stuff grow. You're, just, you're a gardener. He's the one that causes everything to grow. It takes all the pressure off. But it also, at the same time, I think, provides value or, or brings value to whatever it is that you do, 40 or 45 or 50 or 55 hours a week. It's not just a, that's not just paying the bills. That's a garden that God has called you to, and he's looking for you to cultivate that. Let's pray. God, thanks for these guys, and thank you for this uh, time to get together. And my prayer for all of us, you know, and I'm not off the hook because I work in a church. It's just as easy for me to um, fall into this mindset of uh, what I do on a regular, not including you in what I do on a regular basis as it is for anybody else. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would see ourselves as we are, which is missionaries. You ask for laborers, and the laborers are us. And God, I pray as we meet and talk and discuss around the table, God, I pray for revelation. Where are you at work in our lives? Where are you at work in our work situations, in our families, in our neighborhoods? How do you want us to get involved in that? God, if you're not at work, what do you want us praying about? Where is your kingdom not coming on earth as it is in heaven? God, for those of us who maybe tend to say, I'm all about being something, just don't make me say something or do something. Lord, I pray for a renewed sense of confidence in us that your spirit lives within us and that you'll empower us to say and to do, not to bring any attention to ourselves, but to bring glory to you. So God, come and meet with us as we discuss. I pray that, again, there be a real sense of revelation, encouragement, empowering around the tables. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Y'all have...